Well, good morning. My name is Tim, and I'm the pastor here. It's so good to see you this morning in this Christmas, Christmas season. We are in week three of our Christmas sermon series, but before we get to that, we're going to do something that's one of the favorite things that we get to do as a church, and it's baby dedications. And so I'm going to invite the families who are participating in those baby dedications to come on stage, and you guys can welcome them up with me as they do that. Uh, baby dedications, if you've never uh, been a part of one or never seen one, uh, just to be clear, they're not salvation. Uh, baby dedications aren't salvation. That's not what we're about to, to do here. Uh, but they're celebration. They're celebration of life that, that Scripture teaches us that children are a gift from the Lord. And so we want to celebrate these little babies. Look at them. They're gifts, right? I don't know how to convince you of that. And so we celebrate, but we also commit. And so a lot of this is not about the baby, but it's about the parent uh, coming alongside their children and saying, hey, we are going to commit to raise these children in the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord to be raised in the Lord. And so that's what we're doing here as a local church, and you're going to be a part of that, so hold tight for that in just a second. But uh, parents, I want you guys just to start out and introduce yourselves, introduce your babies, and then you guys have a verse to read over them. So I'm Nathan, and this is Leanne, and uh, we're dedicating Bo. Um, here's the verse, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workman, work, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is a... It's an important verse um, just to, for us to commit to um, teaching uh, Bo that um, we're created with a purpose. It's simple, but um, life is hard and we tend to forget. Um, and so that's what our, we're dedicating today. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Graham. This is... Savannah. <laughs> Savannah, and our son Winston uh, that we're dedicating today. And uh, the verse we chose uh, is Proverbs uh, 3, verses uh, 5 and 6. Um, and there's a couple reasons. Well, I guess I'll read it first. But uh, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Um, the reason that we chose this verse uh, is one, it's, it was my grandfather's. Uh, kind of life first, but that's that's our hope for him is to um, to raise him in a way that that he trusts in the Lord with all of his heart and raise him in a way that he loves Jesus um, and model that for him. So, do you have anything you want to add? Sure. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for um, embarking on this uh, journey of parenting with us, and um, yeah, just this little guy brings us so much joy and. We are grateful for a church family that supports us um, in this. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for reading over a verse. That's important to see that the truth of God's word is what's going to sustain you guys as parents. It's what's going to sustain your kids. I have the pleasure to, to know these families, and there's so many stories they could tell, right, guys, about Bo, about Winston. Just these are provisions from God. They are gifts. We don't just read that in Psalm 127. They've experienced that. Amen? And so um, we love you guys and excited to, to dedicate these kids. I want to uh, invite you to, to do that just in a kind of a formal way and to affirm something, two, two things, uh, for your kids and over your kids. And so I'm going to ask you guys collectively to do that. And 
Uh, you can just say, yes, we do together as parents, all right? Uh, so the first one is, that: do you affirm that your child is a gift from God? Yes, they do. Yes, amen. And then the second question is, do you commit to helping raise your child in Jesus as you follow Jesus according to God's word? And then I'm going to invite you guys. This is where you get to participate in this. Parenting, I don't know if you know this, is not easy. <laughs> right? Uh, newsflash. And so uh, the beauty of a baby dedication is we don't just, we could just do this in a private room, right? They could just, it could all be about their families, but it's not just about their families. It's about our church family. Amen? And so you here today, even just sitting where you are sitting, even if you don't know these families, the beauty of the local church is that we are a church family, that we don't do this in isolation, we don't do marriage in isolation, we don't do friendship, we don't do parenting in isolation, that you are committing uh, to be a part of raising these children in the Lord. And so just as a sign of that uh, to them, I'm going to ask you a question, and I invite you to re just respond, yes, we do. Now, here's the key. If you just kind of give like a, yes, we do, they're not going to believe that you're in this with them, all right? <laughs> And parenting's hard. And so I want you guys to give me a firm, yes, we do. All right? So you guys ready? And so, okay. That, that's what I'm talking about, Mike. That's what I'm talking about. So here we go. Let's bring more of that. Follow Mike's leadership in this moment. Church family, do you commit to helping these couples raise their children in the Lord, supporting them with prayer, truth, and love? Amazing. Do you guys feel it? Yeah. You feel the support? All right. Not just today, right? But every day, every, every week. We're so excited for you guys. I'm going to pray and proclaim a blessing over these kids and families. Would you join me in doing that? Father in heaven, we commission these parents to train Bo and Winston in the way they should go, trusting in the promise that they will not depart from your ways, but will grow and prosper in them. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, they will not provoke these children, but will nurture and love them in your care. I thank you that as they mature, Bo and Winston, they will remember you and not pass by the opportunity of a relationship with your son, Jesus. God, we pray that over these kids right now. Lord, we pray a great blessing upon these children as they keep your ways. Lord, I speak blessing over every area of Bo and Winston's life. Father, I speak protection over them, that you give your angels charge over them to accompany them and defend and preserve them in all their ways. Lord, you are their refuge. You are their fortress. Not an income, not a great college. You are. Not their parents. You are. You are their refuge. You are their strength. Lord, I pray that just as Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, you would bless Bo and Winston with the same wisdom and pour out your favor and your wisdom openly upon them. God, I speak a blessing and praise you in advance for their future. Father, your word declares that you desire for children to be pure and honorable. Continue to prepare Bo and Winston to be the men you desire them to be. Father, this I pray and proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, thank you guys. And uh, we want to give you this blessing that I just read over them uh, to put up on a wall and to remind yourself of this day 
and the commitment that you've made before God, before your church family, the commitment they have made to you. And so keep those, and uh, we love you guys. Yeah. Would you thank these guys one more time? Celebrate them. Buy them some diapers, you know, whatever you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do, right? Free babysitting. Well, uh, love doing that. Every time we get to do it, it's so fun. New life is so, such a gift. It reminds us of, of Christmas. It reminds us of joy, which is actually what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and kids give us joy, don't they? I mean, you just see that little hat that Winston's wearing, and that just puts a smile on your face, doesn't it, Grandpa? Yeah, just, just gives you joy. And kids have joy. I, I have three kids, nine, six and three, and I remember my, my nine-year-old's first Christmas and just the joy that she had. Uh, she was, not her first Christmas, it was, she, it was her second Christmas, I guess. She was two years old. Uh, but it was really that first Christmas, two years old, where you're aware of things as a child. She understood the concept a little bit of Christmas, and we gave her gifts. Now, my daughter at the time uh, had pneumonia a few times that year, and she had to take breathing treatments. You know, you put the mask on and get the oxygen and the albuterol flowing in there. And during those treatments, that's a, that's a hard task. Again, parenting is not easy for a two-year-old to put a mask on and, and have them sit there and take that medicine for five to ten minutes. So our remedy for her to do that at that time in our lives was Elmo, right, super spiritual Elmo. Uh, we just let her watch Elmo videos on our phone, and we just would set her up with a mask and with an Elmo video, and she would watch that. And so over and over, she's getting to do this, and her affinity for Elmo is growing. So at Christmas, we give her an Elmo DVD. And again, two years old, just try to imagine this. First understanding of Christmas, first really experience of Christmas, and she begins to open up the wrapping paper that has something in it, and she's opening up the wrapping paper, and as soon as she gets a glimpse that it's Elmo on a DVD, she completely flips out. <laughs> two years old, I literally have never seen anything like it in any other, other, other kids. My two-year-old, she sees Elmo on the DVD, she throws it across the room, I kid you not, and she runs circles around and around the room. And this is my oldest daughter. She's kind of mild-mannered. She was back then. She is today. It wasn't in her personality, but she was so overjoyed she could not contain it because of Elmo, right? Now, I think when we see that kind of joy in a child, all of us, we have joy, right? Because... Not only because they have joy, but it reminds us that that's even possible. That sort of unconstrained, unrelenting, just feeling, belief, thought, emotion that just comes out of us. But I think when we also see that after a few moments, we're reminded sometimes we don't have that same joy. Right? Or when was the last time we experienced a joy like that? Maybe it was when we were two years old. But for 20, 30, 40 years, I, that's cute, but I don't know what that even feels like anymore. And our joy fades. And I think that is particularly true during the Christmas season. That you have lights, and you have trees, and you have family, and you have food, and you have cold weather, and you have fires, and s'mores. And that all kind of gives us a little bit of that sense of joy, but something happens. I know it's crazy. It happens every year is December 26th because Christmas is over. 
And that tree, it's just kind of in the way now. And those lights, a few of them just went out. And that food we ate at Christmas makes us feel bad now and fat, right? And you got to take the tree down and you got to go on a diet and you got to pull the lights down and that joy, that semblance of joy begins to, to fade. For some of us, I think the reality is as we get older, that joy during the Christmas season is often distracted or it becomes numb. And so some of you are thinking, Tim, yeah, that joy that comes down or that joy that fades as Christmas leaves us, I don't even have that joy right now. I mean, yeah, I got the tree. We do that every year. I got the lights. We got the food. We got the family. I mean, I do that every year. I got my job. I got my projects I'm trying to round out to the end of the year. I got my finances. I got this loss that I'm being reminded of that it's not just fading after Christmas is over. This, this joy is even distorted and distracted even now. And so how do we get a joy that goes beyond a season? How how do we get a joy even in the midst of a season that that lasts beyond that season? We don't get it from lights, and we don't get it from apple cider. We don't get it from a tree. We get it from Jesus. We get it from the Bible and a a biblical sense of joy. And so we're going to look at what does that mean? That's easy to say, harder to live out. What does it mean to have a a biblical joy that goes beyond a season? We're going to look at that together today. Uh, We normally go through a passage of Scripture. Today we're not. We're going to look at a few different verses. And so I invite you to to grab a Bible. If you brought one, pull it out. Church, it's a good time to use a Bible. Amen? It's a good time. Uh, So pull it out, and I'm going to ask you to flip to a couple places. If you do have a phone, uh, you can pull up an app, or BibleGateway.com is a good option as well. But I want you to see God's word. I want you to see what it says about joy so you don't just listen to me, but you listen to God. And so we're going to start with this first point, that joy is not a suggestion, but it's a mandate. Joy is not a suggestion. It's a mandate. We see that Philippians 4, verse 4. You got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians in your New Testament. God eats popcorn. That one's for free. Philippians 4.4, here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is one of the most unique commands in all of the Bible for a couple reasons. One, because it's a command to rejoice. Now, you think about commandments, what's the first thing you think of? Maybe the Ten Commandments, right? What's in the Ten Commandments? He's like, thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. And, and typically when we think about commands or mandates in the Bible, they're things that are, we're not trying to do. Like God's trying to keep us away from those things. But there's other commands in the Bible like this one from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi that are very positive, very proactive It's not thou shalt not do this. It's thou shalt be joyful, rejoice in the Lord always. And so this is a unique command. A lot of us aren't used to it. We think don't steal, don't do this, don't do this. And and Paul is changing it up here and, and God is changing it up through Paul and saying rejoice in the Lord always. It's not an option. It's not just when you think about it, when you have a good day. It's rejoice in the Lord 
always. It's not just a suggestion. It's a command. It's a mandate over the top of our lives. And so that's one reason why this is unique. The other reason is it's repeated. Do you notice that? Look at it again with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, just think about that. What other command in the Bible is like that? The Ten Commandments. You don't, you don't see, thou shalt not kill. And again, I say, thou shalt not kill. Right? Thou shalt not steal. And again, I say, thou shalt not steal. Now, is it important that you don't steal or kill someone? Yeah, that's important, right? But it wasn't repeated. Now, rejoice in the Lord always, your joy. Again, I say, rejoice. This is a unique command in Scripture, not only because it's about our joy, but because it is repeated. What should that tell us? Repetition equals importance, particularly in the Bible. That God wants for you just as he wants you to to not steal, to love your neighbor, to not kill. God wants you to have joy. It's not a suggestion. It's a mandate in your life. Rejoice in the Lord. When, God? Always. Are you sure, God? Again, I will say, rejoice. That that could it be that some of us struggle with joy because we've downplayed God's view of it? Listen, Could it be that some of us have a struggle with joy, even right now, as we sit here this morning, because when we think about following God and obeying God and reading the word and doing what it says, the last thing we would ever think about is joy. Yet in scripture, we see things like rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That 59 times in the New Testament, we see joy, joy, joy. That God has a high view of joy. And could it be that we struggle with having joy because we have a low view of it? Because we just think of it as, well, if something good happens, if I'm going through a, a good season, if somebody does something nice for me, if I'm, if I'm feeling good, if I did my quiet time today, then I'll have joy. And it's sort of this external, surface-level thing that maybe we get to experience. And God is saying, no, this is an integral part of the Christian life. Just as much as the Ten Commandments, just as much as any other commandment you can think of, joy is a part of that. And so first, as we talk about joy, I want you to see joy the way God sees joy. I want you to have a high priority of joy. And the reality is some of us today, we, we don't. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think one of those reasons is that we don't have joy as a high priority because we see it as a personality. And that's our second point, if you're taking notes. Second point is joy is not a personality type. It's a heart habit. The reason I say that is because I think when we talk about joy, most of us have a picture in our minds, right? We have a picture in our minds of somebody we know who is happy, of somebody we know who is giddy, somebody we know who is a vivacious personality, right? And we think of joy, we think of personality. Now, those people who are vivacious, those people who are bubbly, those people who are happy and delightful to be around, listen, those people who smile when you talk to them, 
Those people are a gift. The people that have personalities that are sanguine, that that walk into a room in the midst of a party, and they're the life of the party, and they walk into a room that's not a party, and it becomes a party when they walk in. You know those kind of people? Those people are a gift, right? So I'm not, not bashing those kinds of personality types, but what I'm saying to you is joy is not just a personality type. It's a habit of the heart. It's a disposition of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart that you can be an extrovert or an introvert and have joy. Now, why, why say that? Why even make the point of that? Because I know there's lots of people in here today who are thinking about that bubbly person, thinking about that happy person. Well, they have joy, but you see, I'm introverted. <laughs> well, that kind of person has joy, but God hasn't wired me like that. And so maybe we should be joyful, but I'm just not one of those kinds of people. Well, you see, again, Scripture, the Bible, is different than what we see in culture. The the Scripture in 1 Samuel 16 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? The heart. So is it about your outward appearance? Is it about your personality type, your Myers-Briggs? No. It's about your heart. Now, will a disposition, a joyful heart, produce an appearance of happiness? Sometimes. Will a joy in your heart produce a smile? Ah, Sometimes. Will a joy in your heart as we sing songs on a Sunday morning cause you to raise your hands in adoration to our God and King? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing. So I don't want to downplay emotions. I don't want to downplay an outward appearance. But you need to know that's not all joy is. That some of us, particularly guys, as we think about joy, we think, well, that's the bubbly person that I know of over there. And I don't know if I can be that person. And listen, men, you need to know that it comes from your heart. That it comes from a disposition, a heart attitude that God puts in you. And so it's not just a personality type, it's a habit of the heart. Again, we see joy 59 times in the New Testament. There's lots of places you can go in each letter, in each epistle to a church, in each gospel, you can see joy and joy over and over again. But many of us don't know a definition. Again, as we see it as a habit of the heart, I want you to see this definition that I think encompasses some of that. Joy is a taste and it's a longing of the goodness of God. Joy is a taste, and it's a longing of the goodness of God. Now, taste and longing, right? We see in Scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And so you can get a taste of joy. You, you can experience joy as you experience the goodness of God. But it's not just a taste. C.S. Lewis and Surprised by Joy will talk about it, that it's a longing, right? That it's, it's a taste of something we get to experience now, but it's also a taste. Like, what do you get when you have a taste? an appetite for more. So if you taste something good, a cupcake, taste it, well, I want another cupcake, right? Joy is the same way. You start to taste the goodness of God, but knowing we don't have the fullness of the goodness of God right now, but one day we will. One day in eternity, we'll have more than a taste and see that the Lord is good. We'll, we'll be fully known, fully loved. God's goodness will be fully on display in our lives. And so it's something we get to experience now, but it's also something we look forward to in the future. It's a taste, and it's a longing. Galatians 5, 
says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is patience, kindness, all of those things. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You see, God will never command from you what he's not willing to do in you. God will never command from you what he's not willing to do in you. And so God is going to produce joy in you. And maybe you don't have that joy. Maybe you're looking for the taste right now, but you still have the longing. God is going to bring that joy about in you, through you. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit of God. You see, God doesn't just have a high view of joy. God is joy. We have a God of joy. And so as you follow God, you get joy. As you follow Jesus, you get joy. As Jesus and his life begins to work out in your life, you get joy. And we get that eventually in eternity. If you look at this season of Advent, we talked about the season of Advent means literally just coming. And so we have two Advents in history. We have the first Advent, right? The coming of Jesus as a baby. But we have a second Advent, the coming of Jesus as a king. And you and I are in the unique position in all of history where we stand in between those two things. So we have the first coming of Jesus as a baby, the second coming of Jesus as a king. In this Advent season, we're reminded that Jesus is joy. As a baby, as the coming king. We see it even in his birth announcement, the foretelling of his life. What does the angel announce when Jesus is born to the shepherds? I bring you good news of great joy, right? Even in his very first announcement in his birth, we see joy marking the life of Jesus. Now, we hear that a lot at Christmas time, good news, great joy, but it may not really strike us until we look at the context of that scene that Jesus shows up in. You see, in that scene, when Jesus is born, you have a world dominated by the tyranny of Rome. You have a religious system filled with rules and regulations. We see that as Jesus goes on to live his life, that over and over and over, there's people who don't like Jesus because he's not following their rules. This is the scene that Jesus shows up in. You have a culture saturated with social hierarchy and prejudice and bias. The strong take advantage of the weak. Not that all dissimilar from our culture today, right? You have tax collectors in that day who are, who are preying on the poor to increase for the rich. And in that moment when we see good news of great joy, because why? Jesus has shown up as a baby in this first advent. Joy is breaking through. Joy is breaking into a culture that's been sapped of their joy. And so even in the beginning of Jesus' life, there's good news. There's great joy. Why? Because a Savior has been born to you. And he's going to change that religious system. He's going to change that culture. He's going to change that tyranny. And he's going to bring in joy through his life, death, and resurrection. And so as we think about joy, it's not something that we go and pursue. As we think about joy, it's not something we find, even though we say that a lot of times. Like, I'm looking, looking for that joy that's coming around the corner. And, and it's particularly in a relationship or a life event or a bonus at Christmas, And we're looking for a joy, and you need to know, we need to reorient that pursuit to looking for Jesus, to finding Jesus, to drawing close to Jesus, to abiding in Jesus. Because as you abide in Jesus, as you pursue Jesus, as you get close to Jesus, it's impossible not 
to have joy. Because as you have Jesus, you have joy. Bring good news of great joy. His whole life was marked by joy. I mean, just think about the life of Jesus. He turned water into wine. You can't get more joyful than that, right? It takes water, H2O, turns it into Merlot, right? <laughs> Everybody at that party was like, wow, this is different, right? It's different than the religious systems we've come to know and not love. Right? Jesus brought joy everywhere he went. I mean, think about the different tax collectors that were in his posse, like Matthew. I mean, Matthew was a tax collector, a despicable person. He was one of those people praying on the poor. And Jesus says, hey, you're going to follow me and be a part of the greatest mission on the planet. And Matthew's like, me? The tax collector? Nobody wants to be around me. And, and Jesus says, yeah, we're going to have fun doing it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of incredible things that you've never even dreamed of. You're going to have joy. We see Jesus say things like, hey, you need to have joy. Why? Because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's just code for you're going to heaven. Your life doesn't stop with death. You have a hope for eternity. You're going to be with Jesus, fully known and fully loved by Jesus, that in eternity, you're going to have the full expression of joy on display all the time. Can you even imagine what that's going to be like? That Jesus shows up on the scene and is inviting people into joy. His whole life is marked by joy. And so if you get Jesus, you get joy. If you abide in Jesus, you get joy. It's rooted in Jesus. C.S. Lewis, again, said this, joy is a byproduct. It's a byproduct. You don't desire it, but something other and outer. That some of you, joy seems like it's escaping you. And there's a reason for that. Because you're looking for it in circumstance, not in Christ. For some of you, joy is escaping you because you're looking for it in a season, not in the Savior. Joy is found in Jesus, and it's a byproduct of knowing Jesus. So this morning, listen, you can stop listening to me, start talking to Jesus. If you don't have joy, you may not have Jesus. You think, well, Tim, that's, that's really an extreme thing to say. You need Jesus if you're going to have joy. And if you're coming to church and, and even reading your Bible or going through the motions and doing all the festivities of Christmas season because, well, it's Christmas, we should just go back to church and just go through the motions and maybe even read an Advent story. But if you're honest with yourself, if you look at your relationship with Jesus, it's non-existent. If you look at your personal relationship with the Savior that produces that joy that you so long for, and it's, and it's really not there. In fact, you're distracted and you're going to work and you're listening to podcasts and you're doing all these things and going from event to event. But you never relate to Jesus. You're not going to have joy. And you may not have Jesus if you're experiencing that. And so the first thing you need to do this Christmas season, the most important thing you need to do this Christmas season is assess, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Am I following Jesus? And now I know some of you have done that. Some of you are doing that right now. Like, I think, I think Tim, stop questioning my salvation. I mean, I think, I think I have Jesus. Okay, and maybe you do, but it's always good to assess that. As you assess that, are you following him? Are you walking closely with him? 
Has the Christmas season become consumeristic instead of Christ-centered for you? Has it become family-centric instead of Christ-centric? Anything you go outside of Christ to look for joy, you won't find it. But as you look to Christ, you'll find joy, and then it will pour in you and out of you into all those other areas of your life. And so we have to have Jesus if we want to have joy. The last thing. Joy is not something you fall into, but something you fight for. James 1, verse 2, again in your New Testament, James 1, verse 2 says this. It says, count it all joy when you meet various trials. These produce testing, and this testing produces steadfastness or endurance. Now, as we talk about joy, again, some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't really feel that. I do know Jesus, though. I do have a relationship with Jesus, but guess what? Life is hard. James acknowledges that, right? As you face various trials, in James 1, 2, that various trials literally means it's referring to multicolored trials. Not just one trial, like you locked your keys in the car. No, it's like you locked your keys in the car, and your kid is sick, and you're late for work, and you lost someone recently, and Christmas season reminds you of all that. It's like multicolored trials, various trials. That's what James is talking about. And he says, as you face those trials, consider it all joy. Count it all joy. Another translation says, consider it pure joy, undefiled, unblemished joy. How? As you face trials. Now, how is that possible, James? Well, there's a few options. James was either senile. James was crazy and just thought, man, as you go through hardships in life, you're just like, ouch, painful. Ah, I don't like that. But I'm joyful. And maybe he was just crazy. The other option is that he knew what he says in this verse, that the joy can happen through trials because it, it brings about testing of your faith. That it refines you. And as it brings about testing in your faith, as you go through those trials, still having a joy that's found in Jesus, and God brings you out of that trial, and you see how he not only brought you joy through that trial, but he refines you through that trial, how he grew you through that trial, how he brought purpose through that pain. And he did so in ways that if you look back on it in hindsight, he could have never done if it weren't for that trial. You been there? You experienced a trial that produced something in you character-wise that you're like, man, I don't know how God would have done that, got my attention, if it weren't for the trial. And what does that bring about? A joy, a taste, a longing of the goodness of God. Well, God, you would love me so much that even in a bad thing, you would bring about a good thing. God, you love me so much that you would work everything together for the good of those who love you. God, you you are so good that you redeem trials. But this is something you have to fight for. Again, you have trials and you have joy, and you have to fight for that. It's not something you fall into. And so I know this morning there are many of us who are are heartbroken. I know many of us are are experiencing loss. I know that because I've experienced that. So I, I know that's a real thing. And so as we talk about joy, I'm not telling anyone in here to put a smile on it to cheer up, tomorrow's a new day, don't hear that, right? What I'm telling you is that you can have a joy even in the midst of trials. Again, how do we know this? We look at the life of Jesus. We see Jesus weep over his friend Lazarus who dies, even though he knows he's about to bring him back to life. 
We see Jesus angry in the temple, flipping over tables, but yet he still maintained his joy. We see Jesus in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, wrestling with the overwhelming fact that he's about to take on the sin of all of mankind. And yet it says that Jesus goes to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. So Jesus' first advent, his coming, good news, great joy. And he's a baby and everything's great. But as he experiences weeping, as he experiences anger, the same things you and I experienced, Jesus experienced. In every way, Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. Jesus experiences all of those things. He's not removed from your experience. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And even in the hardest moment, in the darkest day, something you and I will never experience, going to the cross to take on the sin of mankind upon himself, the sting of death upon himself on a cross to be beaten, to be accused, to be betrayed. Jesus does that for the joy set before him. That Jesus knew what James 1, 2 talks about, that you will face various trials, multicolored trials, trials like you could never believe, all at one time, looking out on that audience as they yelled, crucify him. And Jesus is thinking, hey, some of you are following me. Some of you just a week ago were waving palm leaves saying, we praise you, Hosanna, you're the Savior, and now you're yelling, crucify me. And Jesus is fully man and fully God, and he felt that pain. But yet for the joy set before him, he goes through that pain. You see, Jesus knew that the cross was going to produce a resurrection, and the resurrection was going to produce an ascension, and an ascension would produce a return, that Jesus didn't just come as a baby, he's returning as a king to make all things right, and Jesus knew you would be here. Jesus knew Bo would be here, and Winston would be here. And they would be brought into this world, and they would sin, as sweet as they are. I know it's hard to believe, but they would sin, and you would sin, and you would need the cross, and you would need the blood, and you would need the crucifixion, and you would need that. And, and he saw forward to a future where that would be Or that would be healed, and that would be taken away, and that sin would be removed, and all tears and all pain. And all death Sorry. Sorry. 
Jesus knew that God was bringing about testing to produce perseverance for eternity, and he was going to do that in you, and so he could have joy. Amen? So, <laughs> um, we can have joy because we can have Jesus, and we can know the joy of Christ for eternity because he's producing something in us, but it is something we have to fight for. It's not something you fall into. So if you don't have joy this morning, uh, one, you're not alone in that. Um, as I just spent the last few minutes trying to gather myself and through tears. Um, we experienced a loss as a church recently, and I'm not going to talk about that every Sunday, just so you know. But um, it's obviously still fresh on my mind that there's death and there's pain. And, um, but there's joy through that pain. And it's because, again, Jesus shows us what that's like. It's because Jesus is, is showing us there's a future where that death is removed. And that's what he wrought for us at the cross, for the joy set before him. And that joy produces joy in you. The last thing is um, we have joy because we have Jesus, and we have joy because we have his joy. Uh, the scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So some of us, uh, the reality is we don't have joy because we're not walking closely with the Lord. Uh, how did Jesus have that kind of joy? He was walking closely with the Father, right? And so the joy of the Lord was his strength. And some of us don't have joy because we're not walking closely with the Lord. And some of us don't have strength because we don't have the joy of the Lord. And there's really only one way to get that, and it's to put on biblical lenses to hang on to the truth of Scripture, the promises of God, and to see those things in the midst of our trials. A simple way I can illustrate this is um, my six-year-old son, several years ago, we had these toilet paper rolls that would just get empty, and my wife saved them for reasons I have no idea. Um, but she would save these toilet paper rolls, and I, and I soon realized her idea for these toilet paper rolls because they would make binoculars, right? It's amazing. Who would have thought? Toilet paper roll to binoculars. And my uh, son, who was, I think, like three or four years old at the time, loved these toilet paper roll binoculars despite all the Legos that we bought him at Christmas Right? And so he's running around the house, and he's got these toilet paper rolls as binoculars, and he's just looking at things, and he would stumble into things and run into things, and he couldn't see everything around the house. Why? Because he has binoculars on. And I think many of us, we just see the trial. We just see with binoculars on, and we don't see the bigger picture. Right? And so what God wants you to do is take off the binoculars, looking at that divorce, looking at that debt, looking at that struggle, looking at that sin, sickness, and strife. You're running around, you're just looking at those things, and you're like, Tim, I don't have joy. How is joy even possible? And it's like God wants you to take off those binoculars and put on something different. He wants you to put on lenses, glasses, so you can see everything. Yeah, there's that debt. Yeah, there's that divorce. Yeah, there's that sickness. But there's also Jesus who, again, lived, died, resurrected, ascended, who's coming again to make all things right, that he's producing something in me, James 1, 2, that he's producing a perseverance and endurance in my life, right? But you got to take off the knocks. you got to put on some glasses. I just got new glasses, so this is a real illustration for my life, right? What happens when you're not wearing glasses? I lost my glasses. My head was hurting, 
I had to put contacts in, so I was just, you know, that salty residue was just coming from my eyes like tears. Every day I put on contacts, and, and I couldn't really see that well, and I couldn't really see all that God is doing, and that God wants to take off your binoculars. He wants to put on glasses so you can see how he sees. He does that through his word, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you walk closely with God, you lean on his promises in his word. That's how you have joy, because you can see everything as God sees it. You put on biblical lenses to see all of life. And you're like, yes, that's hard, but God is good. Yes, this is difficult, but he's doing something. And even when I can't see what he's going to do, I'm trusting that he's good and he's a redemptive God who will refine it within me. And so this week was not a joyful week for me. Uh, It wasn't too crazy, but my wife was out of town. It was a busy season of the church. It is that. There's many meetings, activities. And as I was going through this week, um, just trying to juggle all of that, one day I was trying to redeem this with some joy and bring my six-year-old lunch to a school. I thought his lunch was at 1040. I get to the school. They're like, sir, he had lunch at 930 because it's early release day. And I didn't have much joy in that moment, right? I had a lot of feelings of like, well, I'm not a good dad. Like, I can't do this without my wife. Like, Jaya, when are you coming back? You know, like, and the whole week, and I didn't have much time to to do all the things I needed to do for church and and work, and I didn't have time to study. I was so frustrated and angry about just the different things that were happening in my life, and I didn't have time to get to this sermon on joy. (laughs) And God began to show me in that moment, God... You know, Tim, you don't need to just study this sermon on joy. I've been studying you. It needs to study you. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I began to realize, God, through all of that, through just a, a crazy week, wasn't, wasn't anything too significant. It was just a crazy week. You've been there? And, and realizing, God, there's, you're doing something. You're teaching me to rely upon you. You're teaching me that, yeah, I don't have my whole uh, life together with kids and church and all these things, but you do, and you know how this is all going to end up, and you're going to bring about character, you're going to bring about life change and transformation in and through me in ways I don't even know. You're going to use this sermon that I didn't have enough time to work on because I was juggling all those things. You're going to produce joy in other people's lives, and I get to be a part of that. All right, I'm in, right? I'm going to show up. I'm going to study. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep parenting. I'm going to bring that lunch at the right time next week. (laughs) There's always a new day. There's always a next week. And so if you're struggling with joy this morning, could it be that you've had a low view of it? Could it be you see it as optional, not a mandate, as a suggestion, not a command? God is a God of joy. God prioritizes your joy in him. Do you see it that way? Do you see joy as something you just kind of fall into if you have a good day, if circumstances go your way, if we can just leave the tree up a little bit longer, like how long is appropriate to do so? Or do you see joy as something you fight for, that you cling to, that you lean on the promises of God, the risen Savior who came as a baby, who's coming again as a king? How do you see joy? How are you living out your joy? God wants you to have it. 
God wants to work it through you and around you. God wants to use you in your joy to give joy to someone else. That's what the Christmas season is about. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the joy of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you allow us to follow you, even when things are hard, even when things are confusing. God, you give us joy. God, I thank you that you use people like me who may not have had an incredible week filled of joy and maybe even just recently experienced some just lack of joy because of uh, things that have happened in life. And um, you can still use this because your word does not return void. You can still use this because they don't get joy from me. They get joy from you. And you are present with us. You are here with us. And that gives us joy. You have a plan for every man and woman and child in this room. You have a plan for the little babies who were just born. You have a plan for the people later in life. You have a plan for all of us in between. And it's a plan to give us joy by knowing you, by living for you, by looking forward to a day when you will make all things right. And we will have joy unspeakable. We will have joy complete. We will have joy in full. God, we have joy just looking towards that day. We sing about that joy. We reflect upon that joy now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.